All right, guys, we have been waiting this whole evening for this man to come up on the stage from Denver, North Carolina, Hank Parker, Jr. You may know his father. He's a fisherman. He's a hunter. He is the host of Hank Parker's Flesh and Blood, Mr. Hank Parker, Jr. Let's welcome him to the stage tonight. Hey, guys, man, that is awesome. I think everything's running a little bit behind because I didn't realize how many people were going to show up. Man, this is cool to see all this. And, and while I'm up here just kind of getting everything situated, I'll start off by saying, answering a few questions uh, that people have been asking me. And no, I did not kill any of these animals on this stage. Unfortunately, I wish I would have. But I, I did understand that they killed them all in the Raleigh metro area. Everyone, even including the grizzly bear. I think they killed him near uh, Chapel Hill, actually. Uh, uh, no, I'm just kidding, man. It's good to see you guys. And uh, I know some of you are still eating. Keep right on eating. If you need to move your chairs, whatever you need to do, man. Um, uh, you know, I, I came here tonight because um, a friend of mine who comes to church here, Brandon Curran, runs camera for us. And he, uh, we call him Mongo, the crazy man. But... Uh, he, he wanted me to come up and kind of, you know, we, I could spend all night just telling you funny stories of crazy things that, uh, that have happened while we're out on the road and that sort of thing. But how many of you guys have ever seen Hank Parker's Flesh and Blood on the Outdoor Channel, right? Right? And um, how many of you thought, uh, how many of you have heard of my dad, Hank Parker, the fishing dude? All right, most, most of you. How many of you thought that was my dad that was coming? It's okay, just be honest. <laughs> so, you know, one time I went to this uh, uh, event like this, and they accidentally uh, uh, had publicized that Hank Williams Jr. was going to be there. <laughs> I will say there was a few more people at that event, but they were very disappointed. Uh, but, uh, man, it's a, uh, I, host, I co-host a television show called Hank Parker's Flesh and Blood, uh, along with my dad and my brother. My dad has been a professional fisherman. He's had a television show for over 20 years now. And, um, and so we've had a hunting show uh, for uh, seven years now. This, is, this will be our eighth season, going into our eighth season. You can check us out. We're on the Outdoor Channel. Uh, come on Tuesday nights at 7.30 p.m. And that was the open to our show right there. So we mostly deer hunt and turkey hunt. And, and so we, we'll do some, some big games, some... Uh, elk hunting and, and bear hunting and that sort of thing, but basically we're deer hunters. I'm from North Carolina, um, about four, that's right, North Carolina, Denver, about four hours from here, and man, uh, it's, it's, it's always good to be in my home state. It's always good, and, and so whenever I go to these events, people are always asking me questions about our hunting show. And people want to know more about what we do and how we do it and why we don't do certain things and why certain things uh, are portrayed on TV the way they are. You know, how, how many of you have seen Duck Dynasty? All right. Keep your hands up. All right. Now, keep your hands up if you think that's completely not scripted and real. <laughs> okay. So, people are always asking, how do you make these things happen? And it's kind of like life, isn't it? It's just, just it's, it's hard, it, it's hard to... to to determine where you're going to be in the future and how do you get certain places, how do you get there. And, and man, I could tell you guys all kind of stories, but if you've ever seen our show, my brother Catfish is an absolute cut up. My dad's, he's crazy himself. So 
You know, it's a, just a, it's a good mix for crazy things to happen. And so one of the funniest stories I can think of to tell you, we were in Kentucky deer hunting. And uh, where we were actually turkey hunting. We were up there turkey hunting. And, but we were looking at some property to, to, to deer hunt. And if any of you guys know, anybody in here that's a deer hunter will know Kentucky, Ohio, Kansas, all of those places are, are known for their big bucks and the opportunity to kill a big deer. And, and, and forgive me if anybody here is from eastern Kentucky, but I love eastern Kentucky. But eastern Kentucky people are just a little different than North Carolina people. And we were up there on a, a turkey hunt, and we were hanging out with this guy, and uh, he owned this property we wanted to deer hunt on. And he kept asking us every time we were around him, why don't you boys stay of a night with us? We'd love for you to stay of a night. You don't have to drive all the way back to town and go to that hotel. Just stay here. Stay of a night with us. And to translate that, that means we would like to have you at our house to spend the night. So stay of a night means to spend a night. And so we're, we're, we're hanging out with this guy, and my dad didn't want to be rude. And, and, and he's like, no, man, we're, we're good. And, and this, this guy... Uh, he had a nice home. He had built it himself. It wasn't very big, but it was a very, you know, it was very nice. He had done, done everything himself. It was, you know, really, really just a very nice family. And so my dad got to feeling bad, and he kept thinking, you know, I bet this guy thinks I think I'm too good for him. And so I tell you, if he asks me one more time, I, we're going to stay. And so uh, my brother's like, Dad, don't do it. Don't do it. You're asking for trouble. You never know, you know. And uh, so I had to leave and come back home and, and that sort of thing. But uh, uh, my dad and my brother stayed up there. And sure enough, the guy asked him, said, Hank, won't you stay of a night? And so my dad said, all right, I will. I'll stay of a night with you tonight. Me and Catfish here. And so what they did is a two-bedroom house. And um, they, uh, they let my dad and my brother stay in the daughter's room. And, and my dad goes to lay down in the bed, and his feet are hanging out the bed. Uh, the, the footboard was the, kind of the brass bars, you know, and his feet were going between it, hanging out about that far. And so uh, my brother, we call him Catfish, said he was going to sleep on the floor. And so uh, one of the, if you ever, Brandon can tell you, if you ever go on a trip with us, any of us, you'll know that we have night terrors. And in the middle of the night, as my brother was asleep on the floor, he dreamed that he was in a submarine that was taking on water, and he couldn't get out, okay? And so he, um, he, he, was, uh, he started screaming and hollering in the middle of the night, and he's, ah, ah, he's screaming to the top of his lungs, and, and he felt like he was uh, in one of those doors where you have to turn it, and he just reached up and grabbed my dad's foot, thinking it was the door, and started spinning it. And he's screaming, ah, ah. And my dad's screaming, oh, stop, stop, stop. And my brother's going, oh, oh. And he's beating on the bed. And finally, my dad rolls out of the bed, crashes on the floor, and they're both awake. And it's 2 o'clock in the morning. And so they're thinking, oh, my goodness, what do these people think about us? And so the next morning, he said when they got up, they walked out of this room, and that man and his two daughters were standing up against the wall like this, just staring at them. He said, they didn't say a word, and they didn't say a word, and they just walked, my brother and my dad just walked right by them and walked right out of the house. <laughs> we have not talked to those people to this day. Could you imagine the stories that they tell about us? I mean, seriously. They're like, these people are 
crazy. What's wrong with him? But you can't capture all of that stuff. I mean, it, there's, there's things that happen, and, and, and you, just can't, you just can't get all of that on video. And it's, but we love to travel. Man, we travel all over the United States doing deer hunts in Canada and Mexico. And, man, we love to, to try to capture what it takes to, to, to kill big animals and, and, and the strategy involved. And, but uh, the reason we came up with the name Flesh and Blood is because it's, it's more than just a hunt. It's, it's about spending time with your family, and, and it's about hanging out with my dad and my dad with his two sons. And, and so it, it's, it's, it's a real, uh, it's a blast to go around and do that. And, and so people ask me, man, how, do you, how, did, how did you get here? And it's kind of funny how all of this took place and how I ended here. You know, it kind of sounds, it kind of sounds Run of the mill. Your dad's a fisherman. He's had a television show. You, you do TV with your dad. So it kind of sounds run of the mill, but the, the way that I got here is just kind of crazy. So I, uh, growing up as a kid, man, if you love to hunt and fish, I grew up in the perfect house. My dad, being, the, being an outdoorsman and being a professional fisherman, uh, back then, until we started the hunt show, people didn't really know. My dad loves to hunt as much as he loves to fish. And so I grew up in the perfect home. We'd be fishing all summer and, and, and going hunting all throughout the fall. We loved to duck hunt. And, man, I'm fired up, ready to get out of the office. I've been in the office all summer. I'm ready for dove season come Monday. Are you guys ready? Yeah. So uh, I, I, am, I am ready to get out of the office. And, uh, and so... Man, I love doing that. I, uh, just spending time with my dad and, and doing those things that he was passionate about. And, and when I was a kid, man, I felt like when I grow up, I just want to follow in my dad's footsteps and do what he does. I, I want to be a professional fisherman. Uh, I, want, I want to do exactly the things that he's doing. And so uh, that was kind of my uh, path. That's what I wanted to do because it was by far my favorite hobby. I didn't play any kind of sports or anything like that. I just loved to hunt and fish. And so do my brothers, and, and I'm really goofy. So I tried to play a little bit of sports, but it never worked out too well. And so um, when I was uh, 16 years old, I was on a deer hunt and, uh, at my dad's farm in South Carolina. And my dad had become really good friends with Dale Earnhardt through fishing. Dale Earnhardt liked to fish, and he, he hung out with my dad some going fishing. And while I was on this deer hunt, Dale Sr. brought his son, Dale Jr. And we started hanging out a little bit. We kind of hit it off and we're the same age. And, and uh, he, he convinced me that I needed to go to a race. He's like, man, you ever been to a race? I was like, no, I'm, I've seen it on TV. If you grew up in North Carolina, you're forced. You know, I think there's two things that should be mandatory in public school systems to really help grow our children. And they should have a history class on NASCAR and WWE. So... <laughs> If they could institute, think how much better equipped our children would be to tackle life, you know. But uh, I, I knew about racing a little bit, but I'd never been to a race. And so Dale Jr. Uh, invited me to come hang out at a race with him. And, man, I fell in love with it. It was really, really neat. And so here my uh, whole life, I, I thought about following in my dad's footsteps. I'm starting to, starting to hang out with him and really get the uh, itch to, to do some racing. And so one day we... Um, we were hanging out at his race shop. He had wrecked a race car. Imagine that. And uh, he, uh, he's working on it. And I'm over there helping him work on it. And we're sitting in this shop, and, and we're, we're messing with it. And, and about that time, a door comes open behind us. 
And, and there in steps this figure about nine foot tall, you know, and he's got the black leather jacket on and the black wranglers and the black boots and the chrome sunglasses. And, he's, and, and, and the sun's shining down on his back, and it's like 90 degrees outside. I don't know why he's wearing all that stuff. And it's like, oh, it's Dale Earnhardt, you know. He's the man. And uh, he comes walking in there, and uh, he said, hey, boy, Dale Jr. tells me you want to race. Is that true? And I said, yes, sir. He said, uh, well, I think a good way for you to get started is Dale Jr.'s got this car over here, and he's going to be selling it. I think that's the best way for you to get started racing. Would you like to buy it? And I said, absolutely. I said, there's only one problem. He said, what's that? I said, I don't have any money. <laughs> he said, well, don't you worry. Um, I'm going on a hunt with your dad, and I'll talk to him for you. And I'm like, that's right. <laughs> you got the intimidator on your side, man. You got it made, you know. Like, Dillard's going to bat for me. I talk trash about that, you know. So my dad gets back from this hunt, and, and uh, that's how my racing career started. Bought my first race car from Dale Earnhardt Jr. Uh, it was a Malibu, a 1974 Malibu. So anybody that's got this picture in their mind of a really cool race car with nice stickers and stuff on it, no. Nah. This kind of looked like Grandma's jalopy she drove to the store, you know. It was a hoopty, and it had like, it was 15 different colors, and it was pretty, and Dale Jr. had driven it for two years, and he had pretty much demolished it by the time I got a hold of it. But it was, it was mine, and, and that's how I got my start. Man, I absolutely fell in love with it. And so I started racing. I was 16 at that time, and, and so uh, this is what I wanted to pursue. This is what I wanted to do. And, and as, soon as, as soon as I started going and things started happening, man, uh, I had some success. I started winning races, and things were going really good, and, and, and I had some people helping me and kind of showing me the ropes and teaching me. And, and, and so about the time I was going to graduate high school, my dad and I sat down and said, okay, what do you want to do with your life, and, and how can we kind of figure this out? And so we sat down, and we put together a plan. This is where I would like to be. We just really kind of laid out some goals. This is where I want to be in my life at this age. This is where I want to be. This is where I want to be when I'm 22 and, and so on. And so by the time I was 20, before 25, I really wanted to be racing in, in the Cup Series. I wanted to be racing with all those guys you see on TV. That was kind of my goal. That's where I wanted to get to. And, and so my dad, you know, being... Uh, uh, in a, in a professional sport kind of helped me lay that out in steps and how to get there. And so when I graduated high school, man, I started racing all over the country in late models and started racing in the all-pro series. And, and I saw the race cars out front, man. I raced right out here at uh, Southern Nationals and, and raced all over, anywhere I could race in, in these big races. And so I started working my way up through these ranks. And, and I was having some success. I mean, I wasn't setting the the whole world on fire, but man, I could win my share of races and, and things were going really good. And, and so we had a big race uh, in the All Pro Series, which is a traveling late model series down at Miami Homestead Speedway. Biggest track we go to all year. It was televised on TNN. It was just a really, really big deal. So we go down there and I win the race. And, and this nationwide team asked me if I would drive their car at Homestead. And I, I was like, man, this is awesome. 
one step away from the, the cup series. This is, this is exactly where I want to be. You know, I, I'm, I'm, at the time I was 21 years old and, and I had been working really hard from the time that I started in that Malibu with Dale Jr. And I had been learning how to build my own cars, learning how to do all that stuff, trying to learn how to, to drive uh, better and better. And so here I am, 21, and I've got this opportunity to race in the Nationwide Series. And, and I'll never forget, man, that was such an awesome feeling. I remember getting out on the track, and, and, I, and I was going around the, in practice, and, and I'm practicing, you know. And, and I think in my mind, uh, I'm thinking, I'm breaking the track record. I'm the fastest person that's ever been on this track. I'm flying. And all of a sudden, I go to turn into turn three, and the car goes by me like, whew, real fast. Like, almost pulled all the stickers off my car. And I, and I came on the radio, and I told my crew, I said, they said, Hank, is everything okay? I said, yeah, everything's okay. Did you see that? And they're like, yeah, are you all right? I was like, I'm all right. That was Dale Jarrett. He's the man. And they're like, uh, you need to come in. You're a little too hyperactive. <laughs> and so I, I'll never forget, man, I'm out there racing in the Nationwide Series where, man, you had guys from the Cup Series racing in there. And so I was getting this experience around these guys. And, and so I, I raced that race, and things went really well. Uh, I finished well. I didn't wreck their race car, much to their surprise. I almost wrecked Dale Jarrett under caution looking at his car, but I, I didn't wreck the car. I didn't wreck it. And uh, so they asked me what I drive for them the next season, all season. And so, man, that, that was just a huge, huge opportunity. Here it is. You know, I'm going to be 22 and going into the next season. As I look at my life goals, as I look at the things that I want to accomplish, I'm ahead of my schedule. And so we start off the next year. It was a very low-budget race team. They didn't have quite the funds that they needed to be successful. But at, before the days of, uh, of, of Joey Logano's and Kurt Busch's and people like that, you used to really kind of drive for lower teams and work your way into getting uh, experience and then other teams would hire you. And so I was just getting some experience. And so about the third race into the season, we're at Texas Motor Speedway, and, and that was the first year that track was open. It's a really, really fast racetrack. And, and then we're having a water leak issue in the track. And so I went out and practiced, and this will tell you exactly uh, how smart I am. I was... I was the best I had been all season in practice. I was, I was about 11th or 12th on the practice sheets. And, and so I came in and my crew said, Hank, um, man, how's your car? I was like, my car is pretty good. They said, well, what can we do? What can we do to make it faster? I said, well, it's a little bit loose. It's, it's just a little bit loose. And, and when I say loose, I mean, you hear him explain on TV, but it's about like taking a boy from North Carolina, especially this area, and putting some ice on the road. You turn and the back end wants to come around, you know. At 210 miles an hour, that's not a good feeling, okay. I had some people ask me one time, does it really feel like you're going that fast? I was like, when you hit the wall, it feels like you're going twice that fast. <laughs> but uh, so I'm, I, I, this, is, this is the part of explaining you how smart I am. They said, well, what can we do to fix that? I said, I got an idea. I think if I hold it wide open, it'll be all right. Here's your sign. Now, that might be a problem if somebody says that. So I went out on the racetrack and practiced, and I decided in my mind I was going to hold it wide open. I woke up the next day in intensive care <laughs> in the hospital downtown. 
Yeah, it was a, a great scare for all of my family, and, and uh, my dad was not highly impressed with that. But I had a really big head injury, and so I had to sit back. So if I ask your name after you introduce yourself to me, and I keep asking you your name, I've, I've hit the wall a lot. A lot, okay? So I, I had to sit out most of that season after that to allow uh, to heal. Uh, and so that kind of set me back. And so where I was in my life, where I was in my schedule, where I was in, in my goals, I, I was still kind of getting there, but now I've kind of hit a speed bump. And so things have slowed down. And so I, uh, during this time we, we, uh, of, of healing and, and not being able to drive the car, I was able to kind of step back, and my dad and I decided to start our own team. And so we started our own race team. And, and and if you've got money and you want to lose it really fast, start a race team. <laughs> so we, uh, we started racing and, and man, uh, had a really good season. And then the, the, the United States Marine Corps came on board through their advertising on my race car. I was one of the first guys to drive for the, the Marine Corps. And, man, that was a huge honor. And that was just an awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Any, any Marines out here were close enough to legit? Yeah. Thank you, guys. Anybody in the service, I sat with a man from the Air Force. I want to thank you personally for your service to our country. Thank you. But that was a huge honor to be able to do that and, and to help in the, the recruiting efforts and, and to represent them. That was a huge honor. Things are going really good. And then the next year, as I was racing uh, for my dad, we were really, things were going good. And then I got a phone call from a big team. GNC wanted me to come drive for them. So, I finally got my huge break. I'm going to go drive for a, t a team that has a lot of money. They're able to do the things that they need to do to win races. And so I go to drive for, to race for them. And, man, I, I win California. The bit, one of the biggest races of the year, I win that race. Man, Dale Jr.'s in the race, Jeff Gordon. All of these guys are in this race, and I won. And, and I, I, man, it was, it was just, just like that, that first time in that car, man, at, at Homestead Speedway. I, I just... It was hard to describe the feeling. I was able to win everything that I had worked for. All the sleepless nights, working all night long, all the hitting the wall, going 200 miles an hour, all of it finally paid off. I had won this race, and everything was going so good. And, and so I, after I won that race, Ray Everham came to me and wanted me to start testing his cars for him. Dodge was just coming into the sport. And they wanted me to do a lot of testing at Kentucky Speedway almost every week. And he said, listen, man, if you do a good job testing for me, if you'll, if you'll, if you'll commit to really putting your all into this, I'll give you a shot to race in the Cup Series. My goal. That, that's what, that was my dream in life is to race in the Cup Series. And here, Ray Evernham, one of the guys I respect the most in the sport, is giving me this opportunity. And, and I was just blown away. I was like, heck yeah, man. And so I started doing that, started driving their car, and he gave me an opportunity. I raced my first Cup Series race at Rockingham Speedway, one of my favorite racetracks. And everything was going perfect. Here I am, 24 years old, and everything is clicking off perfect, exactly like I wanted it to go. The next year, I'm supposed to race in the Cup Series with the GNC sponsorship 
and I'm going to be right on my goal schedule. Everything in my life is absolutely in my professional career. Everything that I wanted to portray was going absolutely to plan, if not ahead of schedule, perfect. But in my personal life, I was a train wreck. Everything inside of me was falling apart. And, and, you, and you think, man, how can, how can that be? How, how can that happen? I mean, we see people that are famous. We see musicians and actors and athletes. People from all walks who go for their dreams, finally get there, and then they fall apart. So, man, I was a miserable human being. And the reason was, you know, growing up, I, I talked about my dad, how he loved to hunt, and he loved to fish. But my dad, when I was just a little boy, when I was one year old, my dad came to faith in Jesus when I was one year old. And so I grew up in this family that just started learning about what church was all about, what God was all about, what Jesus, what, what all of this was all about. And so my mom and dad took all five of us to church all the time. And I grew up around that, and I, and I grew up around men who, were, who, were, who, who told me what the gospel was, men who, who displayed what a life like that would be. And when I was 10 years old or 11 years old, I, I remember understanding my, my dad showing me in the Bible and, and hearing, hearing the preacher preach. And, and I remember understanding that the only way to have to go to heaven, that the only way to have a relationship with God was through Jesus Christ. And so when I was 11 years old, man, I, I, I gave my life to Christ. God saved me. And so I was a good kid in school. I, I, you know, I have, I, have, uh, I have three brothers and a sister, and I was always the responsible one. If you, if, if you ever see our show, you'll understand my brother's crazy, Okay. And so I was the good kid. I was the one that kept them out of trouble. And, 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 I, and I went through high school. And then when I started racing, I was so focused on racing. I didn't care about anything else. I didn't, I didn't want to go, you know, I didn't want to do anything to jeopardize my career. But when I, when I right before I got into the Nationwide Series, somehow in my mind, and subconsciously, I, I, I didn't really think it out. But in my thinking, I, I began to feel like, Man, if I live my life, if I live my life for Jesus, if I live my life uh, talking about God, or like my, if I live like my dad, people are going to think I'm kind of weird. Now, I can't have a good time. I can't have fun. I surely can't go 200 miles an hour and, and live a crazy lifestyle. I, I, I just I feel handcuffed from that. And so I begin to distance myself from that. And, and I didn't want to be this really, really bad guy. I didn't, I didn't want to be the guy that people talked about. I didn't want to be the guy who, who got in trouble all the time or who, who was just bad enough that people pointed it out. Pointed it out. But I, I didn't want to be this good guy either. And so I, I, in my mind, just the way it worked out, I just, I'm going to go, I'm going to be in the middle of the road. I'm just going to do what everybody else does. When I'm with my friends, whatever they do, I, that's just what I'm going to do. I'm just going to, I'm just going to go along I'm just going to do my thing. And so from the time I was about 21, that's how I lived my life. And so, uh, you know, if, if you've ever, if you've kept up with racing through the last, you know, in the past uh, 10 years, you know that 
NASCAR went through a really rough stretch. You know, I, I can remember being out on the racetrack at New Hampshire Speedway uh, just 15 minutes prior, hanging out talking to my friend Adam Petty, 19 years old. We go out on the track, his throttle sticks, he hits the wall, and he's gone. He's dead. 19 years old. We were just laughing and joking. And you'd think that'd be enough to wake you up. But it didn't. I just kept right on doing, you know, things that I felt like when I was a kid, when I was that 11-year-old kid, I said, I will never do that. Not only was I, had I done it, but it was common for me. I, I had just, it, it had become commonplace for me. And, and you would think that, that seeing that would change your mind, but I just kept right on. And then we went through a rash of, of guys, man, that I knew, Blaze Alexander, Tony Roper. These guys are my age and my friends, and they got killed out on the racetrack. And it's just, I just kept right on going, kept, kept right on going, just doing what everybody else was doing, doing, doing doing things, and, and, and you know, I could talk about some of the things I was doing. I wasn't a really, really bad person. I didn't get addicted to drugs. I didn't, I didn't steal, but I'm going to tell you, my heart was as distant from God as I, could, as, 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 as I could get away from it. I just wanted to be away from it, and so I just did whatever, and there was a guy that you, you'll, you'll never hear of his name in conversation or, or um, when you're talking about NASCAR. But he was my friend, and he was kind of my running buddy. And um, we were at a race one night at Richmond Speedway. And the worst thing that can happen in racing is you don't make the race. You know, you, you, they take 43 cars, and if 50 cars show up, seven of them don't get to race, and they send you back home. Well, his car was one of them that didn't make it. And they didn't go fast enough qualifying, so they had to pack it up and go home. And he's like, hey, man, we didn't make the race. And he was really bummed out, and he said, I'll, I'll talk to you later. Give me a shout when you get back. He's like, all right, man. And so he gets on a, a plane to go back home, and he gets, he gets drunk, and, and uh, he gets in his vehicle when he gets home, and 25 years old, gets in a car accident and dies. And, and I remember standing there at his funeral, looking into his coffin and just thinking, man, there's more to life than this. There is more to life than just having a good time. There's more to life than just being successful, going to the parties, being liked, all of, what is this? What am I doing? And, and I remember it just kind of rattling my cage, but I walked away, kept right on. During this time, man, I became really good friends with a guy um, who was a chaplain at Motor Racing Outreach. Um, it's a chapel series. You see the guys, they pray before the races a lot. And they do a, a little service before the races for all the drivers and the crew. And this guy became my friend for the last year. He's hanging out with me. And, and we'd go do stuff and we'd talk. And, and, and I liked him and he was a cool guy. But, you know, I just, didn't want to, I just didn't want everything that he had to offer. I didn't want to do those things. I just, you know, that's good for you. But, you know, I just want to do my thing. And so I was at the, the racetrack at Charlotte Motor Speedway. And we were testing and he came up to me. And he said, hey, Hank, how's it going? I said, it's going good, man. It's going good. I got a really fast car. Um, I, I think we're, this is my home track. I really want to run well here. Things are going good. He goes, no, that's, that's not what I mean. He said, how's it going? I said, I said, it's going good, man. He goes, no, how are you doing? I'm like, man, I don't know. He said, I just want to ask you a question. He said, have you ever really, really stopped 
to think about what God gave to have a relationship with you. And he just turned and walked off. And I just began to think about that. And I kept thinking about it. And I just couldn't let go of that question. I, 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 couldn't, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't let it escape. You know, when I was a kid at 11 years old, I, I knew I didn't want to go to hell. I, I knew that. I knew I, knew I, needed to, I needed to do good things and I needed to be a good person and all that stuff. But I think for the very first time, I realized that God loved me. That God sent his son to pay the price so that I could be adopted into his family. And I was just blown away with this idea. I thought God was mad at me. I thought God was so disappointed because I, I just, get away from me. I, I don't want to do your stuff. And what I didn't realize was that some of the stuff that I thought was going on was just stuff I had made up in my mind. I, the, for the first time, I realized that God loves me. Man, that was a huge thing. And, and I began to think about my life, and I started thinking, you know, there's 40 cars on the racetrack. I, I, would, I would rather finish 40th than 20th. I, who goes out and just want, I'm just going to run in the middle of the pack, just be in the middle? No. I would much rather wreck going for the lead and finish dead last or finish up in the front. I do not want to run in the middle of the pack. But that's how I was living my life. That's how, that's how I, I, I did everything that I did. Whatever it took just to just go along with the crowd, just in the middle of the pack. And, and, and I just I said, okay, God, I have made a train wreck of my life. The stuff that promised all of this joy, the stuff that promised uh, friends and acceptance and, and, and the, the lifestyle that I'm living, everything that I felt like was going to bring me happiness has not done that. Here's my life. Uh, you know, I, I want to live my life publicly, in my profession, with my friends. When I, I, I want to live my life for you. I want to live my life differently because of what you've done in my life. And you know what the awesome thing about that is? Is that although I pushed God to an arm's length, as far as I could, he never turned his back on me. God was right there. It says, if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And so I had this, this amazing uh, feeling of just, just being forgiven. That weight was lifted off of my back. And I had this new perspective. It wasn't, it wasn't my dad's lifestyle. It wasn't my dad's story. It was the reality that God loved me. And that he had forgiven me and he had set me free. And so, I, man, I, I kept on racing. Things were going good. I, I met a, a beautiful young lady. And we now have four children together. We got married shortly after I met her. And, and, and my life was going really good. GNC was on board right back where we, I was left off in my whole racing deal. Driving for Ravenham. Start our second season. Win another race. Man, it looks like everything's going to take shape. Now, not only do I have a, a new perspective in life, but things are continuing to go very, very well. And so we're clicking along, and we get to the last race of the season. GNC is, is up for a renewal, and they're going to, as I said earlier, they're gonna, we're going to go to a cup team. And it looks like everything's falling into place. 
we're at my favorite racetrack in the entire world, Miami Homestead Speedway. And, and we're supposed to, to meet after the race. And with, with 10 laps to go, I'm leading the race. And, and I'm just, man, I got this, I got this. I love this track. Everything's going good. Five laps to go, I'm leading it. Man, we get down to two laps to go, and I'm leading this race. I take the white flag, one more lap, and I'm going to win. And this guy bumps me up off the track. He's like 20 laps down, and I finish second. And I came in, and, and the guys from GNC were, were standing there, and they looked all bummed out. And they said, uh, hey, man, we need to talk. And I was like, hey, it's all right, guys. We still finish second. And they're like, no, we need to talk. And, and some things had changed in their company, and they had to drop their sponsorship. Well, in racing, if you don't have a job by a ride lined up for the next year by about uh, middle of the summer, you're in trouble. Definitely by September. You're, after that, you're in trouble. Well, here it is, November, and I have no job. They, they had to drop. They had to get completely out of racing. And so I found myself sitting on the sidelines. And I can just remember going behind the race haulers and just getting physically sick. And I'm driving back to the hotel, and I'm just beating my steering wheel in the, in the car, and I'm thinking, God, what, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? I'm trying to live my life for you. What, what do you want from me? Why? Why would you let this happen? I'm trying to do things the right way. And, and, and from that moment, man, God began to show me and, and through putting guys in my life, through, his, through the Bible, that my value, that my worth to God has absolutely nothing to do with what I have to offer. My identity in Christ has nothing to do with how well I perform on a racetrack, how well, I, uh, how well I don't perform, what I'm doing for a living. All of those things have minimal weight in what God, in how God sees me. God's more concerned about my heart than he is about how successful I am, how famous I am, how much money I make, or how much money I don't make. He was more worried about that. And you know what, guys, is men... That's where we struggle in it, with our identity, who we are, where, where we're at. And so for many of us, many of us find our value and our identity in two places, work or our hobbies, right? And, and so it's all about how can I climb the ladder, how much money can I make, how much, all of these things, and that's what makes us feel like we bring value. And some of us, man, even as believers, we, we feel like we somehow elevate God in status by doing that. Or we elevate our status before him. And so we, we spend all this time so focused on the golf course or the fishing boat or the deer woods or at our work that life is just flashing by. And we never stop to think about what's the most important thing in this life. And that's where do we stand with Jesus Christ. Where do I stand? And so... We're going through life and we're so focused on those two things and everything else is kind of going by. And you wake up one day and you, you get a phone call that one of your friends has died, like, like I did. Or your wife leaves you. Or you find out you've got cancer or somebody you love has cancer. And you're like, wow, uh, man, uh, this isn't how life's supposed to be. And you take stock and you look at your life and, you're, and, and you think, man, how did, how, did I, how did I get to a place where this is so valuable to me? How did I get to a place where I find my escape in pornography? 
How did I get to a place where alcohol is what I run to? How did I get to a place where I can cheat on my wife and not have a guilty conscience? How, can I, how did I get here? It, it just sneaks up on us. And so for many men, this is what we do. I'm going to do better. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to work harder. I'm going I'm to get rid of my computer. I'm going to quit doing this. I'm going to start doing that. List on, 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 and on, and on. And, and we try to fix ourselves. And we can't. My story, I love to tell my story, and I love to tell about what God's done in my story, but that, that's, my, that's my story. And some of us have the story that I'm talking about. But the greatest story is the story of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that if you try to fix yourself, it says the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God. You make yourself an even more of an enemy to God by trying to fix yourself apart from him. And so the good news is this, is that we're all born sinners. We're all broken, every single one of us. And the good news is, is that Jesus came and lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. Listen, I, you know, I, I, I hate to go off. We, we live in a society that just says things blanketly. This is how I feel like they should be. But the reality is, this isn't something I make up. This isn't just another hunting tale or fish story. Listen to the, let me, let me share to you from God's word the truth in, in this good news. And, and in Romans chapter 3, this is what it says. And, and Paul, who's writing this letter, he says, he's, he's, telling, he's talking to these people who have tried to follow every, every rule, every, everything that they could do apart from God to gain God's favor. And he says this, he says, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, basically the Old Testament. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction for all, everyone, every single person, every single person in this room, every single person you have met, every single person has sinned and falls short of the glory of God. Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, when God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. God set forth his son as a payment to pay the penalty of our rebellion against God. That's what that means, the propitiation. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Listen, the good news isn't something that we just, just make up in the South. The good news is this. It's that God, we can't live this life and God sends his son in the person of Jesus Christ who lives out his law, his rules perfectly in our place. And then goes to the cross and substitutionary dies for us in our place to pay our penalty. And so we, we see from this text, he did this so he is the just and the justifier. God isn't some grandpa who winks at our sin. Our sin is serious before God. Our sin is causes, the, Ephesians 2 says we are dead in our trespasses and sin. 
We are hostile towards God. We were born broken. We were born in our first father, Adam, who sinned and rebelled against God. And Jesus pays that price on the cross. He is beaten and crucified and dies completely dead and is buried and then rose again. He rises from the dead to show the payment has been accepted on our behalf to God. And what does it say in this text? He calls us to faith and repentance, that we would be willing to turn from our own selves, that we'd be be willing to turn from saying, man, I can fix myself, I can do this, I can't do that. And we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, in the perfect work that he did on our behalf. That's what he's calling us to do. And so for many of us, that sounds too simplistic. It sounds, that sounds too easy. And, and so you sit there and you think, well, you don't know the things that I've done. You don't, you don't know where I've been. You don't, you don't know my life. Or even you don't know I've gone to church my whole entire life, but I've never come to that point. I couldn't do that. That would be embarrassing. Here's Jesus' call. Matthew 11 says this, Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus is saying this, man, you got, you got problems running in the middle of the road like me? You trying to go along with the crowd? You trying to, to please everybody? Come over here. You, you got a drug problem? You got a pornography problem? You got, a, you, got a, you got issues in your life you think I don't know about? It's God. He's God. He knows. It says he demonstrated his own love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Come over here, he says. You've been going to church your whole life playing a game, and you've never really come to a point where you've relinquished trust in yourself as your own God and put it in Jesus? Come over here. Come over here. Listen, I, I, I would never say, it, it, listen, God is not promising you that he'll fix your career. Look at my career. I'm not standing up here saying that he's going to fix everything about your finances or your career. I, I wouldn't be here today. I'd be in Atlanta. God's a lot more concerned about your heart than he is, than he is any of that. I can't promise you that God will fix your marriage. I can't promise you that, that God will fix your sickness. I, I can't promise any of those things. But what I can promise you, based on the word of God, is that if you'll turn from your sin confessing your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ, he will give you forgiveness. He will forgive you of rebelling against him, and he will adopt you into his family. And 2 Corinthians 5 says this, it made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to become sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. You come to God on that behalf, and he will see you Under the blood of Jesus Christ, he will see you and say, my son, perfect. My son, holy. My son, righteous. And your position before him. But he calls you to respond to him through faith and repentance. Would you pray with me? Father, the reality uh, tonight is real. There are men in this room who are in the middle of the road. There are men in this room who are struggling with the reality that you 
love them. And so, Father, I pray that, that you would open our hearts, that you would open eyes to allow us to see that what brings our relationship with you is Jesus and Jesus alone. Father, that we would run away from ourselves and put our faith and trust in Jesus. God, if anybody's in this room and has never done that tonight, it's just, it's simply confessing you're God, I'm not. I'm a sinner, I fall short. I confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. God, I pray that for the men in this room who, who have come to a point where they've placed their faith in Jesus and just wandered away, lost the joy of their salvation. Father, I pray that you would grab their hearts and help them to, to revisit where they are, to understand the goodness of who you are, to understand that you have come to bring life and life abundantly. Father, I pray for the men in this room who, who are walking with you. I pray that they would have that conversation with these young men. How are you doing? I pray, Father, I pray that you would have your way in our hearts. Lord, that we would not sell out to our jobs and to our hobbies, but, Lord, that we would, we would love our families well, that we would that we would not neglect the important things in our lives and that we would know that first and foremost that you are the Lord and the leader of our lives and we would submit to that. God, I love you and I thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Guys, if you're here and, and, and you've got questions about that, if you want to understand more about that, there are going to be guys here um, after the event. I just encourage you, don't leave here with that question in your mind. There'll be guys here to talk to you uh, and, and walk with you through that. They'll, they'll, they'll answer any question that you have. And um, I appreciate your time. I love to talk about hunting and, and fishing and, all, and racing and all that stuff. But, man, I, I love to, to share about what God has done in my life and what God does in other men's lives. Thank you, guys.